Um, do we we want to kick it off by doing a uh, some sort of roll call? Absolutely, I can do that. Thank you. This is Savannah Dar, Historic Preservation Officer. Hi, everybody. Um, so I'm going to do roll call if you don't mind. Um, unmuting yourself and saying that you're here. So we have Ackerman. Present. Fuller. Present. Omidi. Present. Owen. Present. Jones. Present. Stahlgren. Present. Lou. Present. Kirschdorfer. Present. And Ward. Present. Thank you. Uh, okay, I'll call the meeting to order. Again, this is a special meeting of the Historic Landmarks and Preservation Districts Commission. We are meeting virtually today. Um, and uh, the first item of business is approval of the minutes from our September 21, 2023 meeting. Those minutes were were circulated um, before the or with the meeting materials, and um, hopefully everybody has had a chance to review the minutes. If so, is there a motion to approve? Ackerman makes a motion to approve the September minutes. Second. Second. Thank you. Uh, any discussion? All in favor, say aye or raise your, and raise your hand. Aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay, the motion carries and the minutes from the September 21 meeting are approved. Um, and then on the um, Trying to go back and pull up the agenda, but I lost it. Sorry. Okay, the, um, the next item of the on the agenda is to review a matter of old business, and that's to, um, and that concerns the John G. Epping bottling plant. Uh, Savannah, are you gonna kick that one off for us? Yes, this is one you all heard um, just a couple of months ago, and there were some changes by the state review board. So this one's back before you again. Um, Wes Cunningham is the presenter on this, and I am going to share my screen to show his presentation. And Wes, just tell me when to advance the slides. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? Awesome. So, uh, as Savannah mentioned, uh, this the Epping was uh, in front of you all a few months ago. Uh, when I presented it in front of the review board, they were ready to approve it. However, uh, there was some uh, uh, some of the property owners 
did not want to be included. They uh, were on the east side of Logan Street and they objected at the state review meeting. So the state review board approved it, um, but only under the condition that I remove those two buildings from the district. So because uh, Marty Perry, the State Historic Preservation Office uh, National Register Reviewer, conferred with um, Jim Gabbard at the National Park Service, and they agreed that it, this warranted enough change to have to represent in front of you all. So, Savannah, you can go to the next. So, as you can see, here is what uh, consists of the John G. Epping Bottling Works. Um, again, this district is uh, just off Broadway and Logan Street. Um, it meets National Register Criterion A and is significant in Louisville's general industry and commercial history as an early soft drink manufacturer that developed from mineral water sales uh, out of the, uh, um, the Epping household in their backyard, and it grew to a regional operation um, and was actually the last in the region to consolidate uh, among the larger soft drink manufacturers. Uh, as you can see, there are six buildings remaining in this complex uh, shown in the map here. Um, just in case any of anybody remembers, the other two buildings that were uh, requested to be left off are both on the east side of Logan Street, which uh, thankfully allows us to still present a cohesive district, uh, both in appearance and location. Um, so we believe that there was not the removal of those two buildings does not negatively impact the integrity of the complex as a whole. Both of those buildings were simply garages and storage warehouses. Uh, they were not integral to the operations at the John G. Epping Bottling Works. Savannah, you can. Um, here are three of the uh, remaining buildings. Um, the first is the Epping Residence. That is where uh, the Epping family lived and originally started their mineral works out of the back of that house. Um, as they grew to a regional operation, they uh, started buy, uh, adding, buy, buying the lots around them and building the uh, larger scale buildings um, to house the rest of their operations. So the storage building is that number two, and that is actually the uh, South and east facade of the storage building, you'll see the more recognizable uh, north and east facade in the next slide. Uh, and then the third one is uh, one of the bottling plant and warehouse. Um, as you can see, it's right next to the residence. You can kind of see it poking in the background there. Uh, next slide, please. Um, here is the more recognizable front facade uh, right along Broadway at the corner of Broadway and Logan. Uh, on the left, that is the a historic view, and then as they added this office space on the front, uh, it's what we all now recognize along Broadway. Uh, next slide, please. Again, just to kind of reiterate what I uh, said originally, um, it is significant as an early soft drink manufacturer, uh, and it was one of the last local companies to successfully avoid consolidation while also remaining and well involved in the community and industry. Um, I'm keeping it pretty short since you all likely all remember this from a few months ago. Um, the one, like I said, the one big difference is the removal of those two buildings from the complex. So I do want to reiterate that although those buildings were historically associated with the Epping Bottling Works, um, we believe that they, the loss of them does not negatively impact the integrity um, 
because they were not where the main operation was housed. They were kind of uh, ancillary buildings, um, garages and storage warehouses. Uh, so um, we believe that the remaining buildings still present a cohesive district and uh, truly tell the tale of the, the John G. Epping Bottling Works, uh, despite the loss of those other two buildings. So I'll kind of wrap it up there. If anybody has any questions, I will hopefully be able to answer. I think I just have one, and maybe this is something for you, Wes, and then maybe Savannah too, because I know we're going through some districts um, at the local level. Is that typical that if an owner objects, you know, you kind of just draw them out of the district? Or I was thinking, you know, if it needs to be in there, you could sort of do it without their consent. So uh, this this is kind of an example of the state review board meeting kind of going outside of their um, kind of parameters, uh, not necessarily in a in a negative way, but the state review board meeting is the the whole purpose is to present the nomination and to uh, vote on whether or not um, the national register nomination, as I have presented it to them, is eligible for listing. Um, it's not really supposed to be a place where uh, property ownership or uh, objections are supposed to take place. Those are supposed to take place at the final listing process, in which case a district like this, they do require 50% or more of property owners to be to approve it. Um, so this is very irregular. Um, like I said, it's, it's not really... Uh, what the state review board is supposed to do, but nobody at the meeting felt right approving it with a very vocal objection in the room, if that makes sense. I hope that answered. I can expand without, I don't want to overstep or say things I shouldn't say, but uh, I hope that explains what you were asking. Yeah, and that's helpful. I think the other distinction, too, is that you guys are going after individual nomination. It's kind of a complex, not really a district. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so and, the, the rules are slightly different, I think. And one thing to note that uh, one of the buildings, one of the two buildings that was removed is actually already listed uh, as a contributing resource to the Phoenix Hill District. Um, it seems silly that the owner would object to being included in this nomination when they are already able to enjoy all the benefits of National Register listing as being con a contributing resource elsewhere, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I agree. That's kind of irregular. Is there anything that would stop in the future from kind of resurveying the property to include those and expand the boundary of the complex? So that is actually uh, in the wording of the new nomination. I've actually uh, been pretty um, open and uh, about the existence of those buildings, and you know, kind of mentioned that should ownership objection be removed down the road, it would be a pretty easy amendment to include those two buildings into this complex. Uh, I didn't. I mean, I, I I didn't write this new nomination or edit the nomination in a way that you know, just pretends like they're not there, but it does call them out, mentions why they were left out, and leaves the door open in the future should ownership objection be removed. Yeah, I think that's good, um, given that full context and making sure it's open for the future. Mm -hmm. 
Javi said. Other questions concerning this one? Perfect. Sorry, I thought I heard someone, uh, someone starting to speak. Is there anything further on this one? Savannah, can you hear me? Yes, we can still hear you. Do you want me to move over to the next presenter? Does the commission want to make a motion to move this along to the review board like we've done in the past? I mean, this is kind of a different one since it's been brought back to you before. You know, you've already kind of made that determination. Do you want to make a new motion to do that? Do you just want to move forward? I kind of want to see how the commission wants to handle it. I'll be glad to make a motion. I was trying to look up the wording <laughs> and Javier was helping me. Um, so I move that the nomination as revised is submitted to the state review board. Ackerman will second that. Okay, thank you. We have a motion and a second. Is there any further discussion on this one? If none, all in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay, thank you for the motion. It carries and uh, this will be passed along to the next stage of review. Um, thank you I all. think that concludes. I think that concludes the old business. Now we have uh, two matters of new business before, them and, uh, before us. And the first is uh, a request for a national register nomination for the Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company Bakery and Warehouse at 901 South 15th Street. Um, and again, I believe Savannah Dar is going to kick this one off. everyone. So the next two are um, new nominations to be presented before you all and Jessica McCarran is here to present those. Good morning. Um, as Savannah said, my name is Jessica McCarran. I'm an architectural historian and the historic project manager at Whale Ventures. And uh, for this project, Whale Ventures is acting as the historic tax credit consultant for the current owner. So this is the former Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company Bakery and Warehouse. It meets National Register Eligibility Criterion A for Industry and Commerce. It is significant for its association with the AMP and the early 20th century re revolution in the food industry and grocery commerce. The period of significance begins in 1928 when the bakery and warehouse was completed and ends in 1977 when it ceased operations under the AMP and was closed. It is eligible at the local level. Next slide, please. 
This is a utilitarian four-story industrial building located at the southeast corner of South 15th and Breckenridge Streets, southwest of downtown Louisville. It is near a railroad line for the Illinois Central Railroad. The spur that previously serviced the building seen on the 1941 Sanborn is no longer extant. The Illinois Central slogan was the main line of Mid-America with a north-south route that connected Chicago to the Gulf Coast. This site was likely chosen by the AMP in 1928 due to its centralized location for the receiving of raw materials via train and as a regional distribution point for new truck fleets. Um, and just you can see on that top left, there is a non-contributing garage that's at the southeast corner of the parcel. Next slide, please. This fireproof building was designed in the daylight factory style. The reinforced concrete frame was built in its entirety, and then the 12-inch thick brick curtain walls and metal factory windows were added. Each window has a cast-in-place concrete sill. There's little to no ornamentation on the exterior, and each facade is similar in materials and design. These are the north and west facades at the intersection of 15th and Breckenridge. Note the nine truck loading bays on this facade. Uh, these have since been filled in for office use. Next slide. Here are the southeast and east facades that face into the center of the parcel where the rail spur met the building. Rehab plans include the removal of all metal screening panels and the repair of concrete and brick on the exterior to more closely resemble its historic appearance. Future plans for the building include mixed use with offices and event space. Next slide. Currently, the former AMP bakery is clad in non-historic metal panels. These were applied in the late 90s after the period of significance to change the appearance of the building and protect the interior due to deteriorated windows. In early 2023, panels were removed from the entire 15th Street facade, plus two bays on each adjacent side. The historic materials of reinforced concrete walls, brick infill, and window openings can be seen to be largely intact, but in need of repairs. The most recent view in the bottom right shows temporary window coverings. The building still communicates its functional identity and original design. Next slide. The interior plan is open and features flared columns approximately 21 feet on center throughout. Two freight elevators are located in a central service core and two stair towers are also present in the building. Third floor has a former cooler or refrigeration room with heavy doors and cork materials used as insulation on the interior walls. And that on the bottom left picture is, a, is the outside of that cooler room. Uh, next slide. A&P was one of the first retailers to reach $1 billion in sales in a single year. And at its peak in the 1930s, it operated over 15,000 grocery stores nationwide, truly from the Atlantic to the Pacific. The AMP bakery and warehouse buildings were not as recognizable to the public as the customer-facing retail stores, but these regional centers were vitally important in the success story of the company's superior production. The Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company Bakery and Warehouse retains integrity of material, design, location, and setting. It also maintains the feeling of an industrial building in its surrounding area, operating as a regional bakery for nearly 50 years in Louisville and providing jobs to thousands of people. That is the end of my presentation. If anyone has any questions. Before we launch into questions and stuff, I'll just say that I'm going to recuse myself from voting on this case. Um, I wanted to still be here for quorum today, but Jessica and I obviously work together and I'm helping out on the tax credit side of this. So I'll be recused.
Super cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Ackerman, and thank you for the presentation. Um, any questions for Ms. McCarran? Anything anyone else wishes to add? This is just something that's come up in, in our conversations and maybe for you, Savannah, when we're talking to people who are looking to nominate things for the register, um, is it something that should be encouraged that we also try to go after local designation? At what point in the process should we consider doing that? Maybe after a tax credit project has been completed, does staff have kind of thoughts on that process? Absolutely. That's something that we have also been trying to encourage. Um, and I a lot, have offered to people both ways that you can do it during the process because the COA process is not as stringent as the tax credit process. So if you're already going through the tax credit process, that's a much higher level of review. But I've also told people that, you know, once you finish your rehab using your tax credit, that you can certainly propose it to become an individual landmark and um, protect that investment. I know the tax credit has ways that do that, but a local designation also protects it for the future. Um, and so those are things we have been encouraging to people when they do come through with national register nominations. Okay, anything further from any member of the commission or staff or Ms. McCarran? We ready for a motion? I can make a motion. Looks like no one else will. Uh, I would uh, motion that we approve the move. The commission recommends this nomination to move 901 South 15th forward to the Kentucky Historic Preservation Review Board. It possesses six sufficient integrity and meets the nomination criteria A uh, that they've explained today and is on the nomination form. Thank you. I will second. Two seconds. Okay, we have a motion and a second. <clears throat> Any further discussion? If not, all, all in favor, say aye and raise your hand, please. Aye. Aye. <laughs> Any opposed? Just hey, thank you. That motion. Yeah, Miss. Thank you. Okay, that motion carries with one abstention. And um, I believe we can move on to the next item on the agenda, which is the, it's another request for a National Register nomination by the Louisville Lead and Color Company Paint Factory and Warehouse. 
1416 to 1426 Lytle Street. And, uh, Again, I believe we have uh, Ms. McCarran. It's me again with another property with a very long name. <laughs> um, and again, Wayland Ventures is acting as the historic tax credit consultant for the prospective purchasers of this building. So this is the former Louisville Lead and Color Company Paint Factory Warehouse. It's located to the west of downtown Louisville as viewed in this drone image. Is eligible for the National Register under Criterion A for industry and its association with the growth of the paint manufacturing industry in Louisville in the early 20th century. The industrial paint company Peasley Galbert and its successor DeVoe and Reynolds owned and operated the factory. It is eligible at the local level. The period of significance begins in 1905 when the original factory building was completed and ends in 1964 when Celanese bought out DeVoe and Reynolds. They may have continued to use the building for storage, but operated out of a new headquarters in an East End office park. Next slide, please. The overall building is U-shaped with a stone foundation and flat roof and is located at the southeast corner of 15th and Lytle Streets in the Portland neighborhood. This industrial style factory and warehouse building occupies most of its nearly one acre site with the north and west facades meeting the sidewalk boundaries. Next slide. The former Louisville Lead and Color Company Paint Factory and Warehouse is a single building consisting of a circa 1905 four-story brick factory building with a five-story brick warehouse added in 1911. The two portions are connected by a permanent structure incorporating the original boiler room along the southern facade, and that's what gives it the U-shape on the map. The building was one of several in the area owned and operated by under Peasley Galbert for the production and distribution of paints, oils, and varnishes. At its peak, Peasley Galbert and its first successor, DeVoe and Reynolds, which was also a large uh, nationwide paint company, occupied several blocks in the area with its other warehouses, offices, and affiliated businesses. But the company also operated regional branches in several other states, including Texas and Georgia. Next slide. The early 20th century architectural details are mostly intact, including the use of brick with repeated bays of arched window and door openings, flat roof and lack of ornamentation on the facades. These features make the paint factory and warehouse identifiable within its historic period and function. They are locally significant to the Portland community and have not been moved. In fact, after a survey of West Louisville in 1983, the buildings to the northwest and northwest of the, north of the subject property were listed on the National Register for Architecture, all of which show similar design, materials, and workmanship. This building and the, the buildings immediately to the north across Lytle were also Peasley Galbert warehouses. Next slide. The interior spaces are open and plan with similarities such as heavy timber columns, wood and metal beams, wood floors, exposed wood ceiling rafters and metal windows. Some of the brick perimeter walls have been painted along with many of the columns, beams and rafters. Many of the factory windows are still intact, but covered with plywood or metal and in various states of repair. Future plans include re rehab of the building utilizing the historic tax credit program with residential units and first floor commercial. And current adaptive reuse projects in the area seek to revitalize this historic setting. The Louisville, oh, I'm sorry, next slide. <clears throat> The Louisville Lead and Color Company Paint Factory and Warehouse retains the feeling of an industrial building in its surrounding neighborhood. It is associated with a series of major paint manufacturing companies with local connections 
and the building remains to tell part of that industrial and commercial story that began over 100 years ago. And then that, that picture at the bottom was a letterhead from 1928 that shows drawings of all of the buildings that Peasley Galbert operated. Next slide. So to summarize, um, the, the PG paint brand was known regionally and the company's growth attracted buyouts from large paint companies from outside the Louisville area. Um, and as you can see, it's uh, significant for criteria A for industry processing and warehousing um, under the paint manufacturing uh, industry. So in that, the picture at the bottom was from the Peasley Gabbard varnish plant. Just thought it was interesting with the, the people working there. <laughs> So that's the end of my presentation on this project. Thank you. Um, are you able to, I'm curious, what's the plan for the next uh, for the development of the project? Um, we're, some of those plans are still uh, in progress, but it is planned to be residential on upper floors with first floor commercial. And this, this project is across the street from the, the Painters Row development, um, which is also in progress and um, seeking to have more residential in that area as well. I'll be glad to make a motion if we don't have any more discussion. Please do. I move that the commission recommended this nomination of the, what was it called? P and G paint um, company and move it forward to the Kentucky Historic Preservation Review Board. It possesses sufficient integrity and meets the nomination re nomination criteria as explained in the nomination form. Oh, second, Emily Liu. Thank you. Any further discussion on the motion? I will say this, I, I found today's nominations uh, very interesting and with the A&P going back and being in Louisville, seeing those and seeing them go away. I never knew there was a bakery plant, but uh, the Louisville led, I mean, reading the, the staff report and the, the nomination report. I mean, uh, my grandfather was a, a local uh, painting contractor here. I'm a father, my dad, I'm a grandfather and stuff. I mean, going back in these timeframes of reading in Marcus Blatt's uh, you know, D hard, I can name a bunch of them growing up and, and stuff and devote good friends going around and stuff. And I just found it interesting that this is a nomination going back into a, a, a business that was out there that Louisville did have a lot of plants, uh, paint manufacturing plants that, you know, I was aware of, but seeing this come, uh, come through is a, a good thing. So I'm very supportive of this nomination. I do like to make just one quick comment um, that a few years ago, our office staff worked closely with uh, Metro Council members um, and totally removed uh, the parking requirement for 
the urban area, including um, historic buildings uh, that they were used to make it possible. And I, I just don't think this is even feasible if we still have the parking requirement in place. So thank you. Thank you. Any further comment <laughs> or discussion? Um, if none, all in favor say aye. Aye. And I believe Ms. Ackerman is um, abstaining again. Abstaining yes. again. <laughs> okay. Any opposed? Okay. That motion carries. Um, is there any other business uh, to come before the commission today? Not from staff. Just a reminder that we will have our meeting on um, October 19th to continue discussing the design guideline update. And, um, before we get off, I just wanted to note, I, I, I was reading business first yesterday and I believe I, I saw a nice, um, uh, a piece on Robert Kurtzdorfer uh, for the good work that he's been doing. So uh, congratulations and thank you, Robert. Um, it is uh, it's nice to see your tireless efforts recognized. And um, anything else before the commission this morning? If not, I'll entertain a motion to adjourn. So moved. Moved. All in favor? Aye. Okay, the ayes carry. The Landmarks Commission is adjourned. And um, before we go, uh, when is our next meeting again? October 19th, 9 a.m., Old Jail, please. <laughs> Okay, so we'll be in, in person uh, two weeks from Thursday on the 19th. I look forward to seeing everyone then. So, uh, thank you. Thank you all. Okay, thanks everyone. We're adjourned.